Hey, my name is Chris. I'm from Vertical Church St. Paul. and I'm just so thankful for you guys. I just want to say, um, you know, Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And um, in so many ways, our church just wants to imitate you guys. Like you're our big brother and our big sister in a lot of ways. And we're just trying to kind of be like you guys. And so thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your generosity. Um, hey, is it okay if I preach this morning? Like really preach this morning? I know it's June. I know this is the time when people don't really come to church and those who do come to church don't want to be here. And um, hey, not this morning. Let's go this morning. Um, at any time, man, if you want to talk back to me, Nehemiah chapter 8, Ezra reads the law, the people talk back. It won't bug me a bit, all right? So let's go all in this morning. We are preaching. We should pray first. My goodness, we should pray. Lord, I don't have lofty words of wisdom. I have Christ and Christ crucified. And that's all you want me to have. So I pray right now, this morning, your Holy Spirit would come and so work through your living and active word and knock us over with the glory of Jesus Christ like it's the first time we ever saw him. Blow us away this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's hard to describe the first time I saw it. I just finished seminary up in St. Paul, and I took my first pastorate just outside of Colorado Springs. My church was at about 9,000 feet elevation, and it was right at the base of Pikes Peak, like one of the highest mountains in the country. So to get there, we had to drive up this super narrow, winding road that the locals called the Pass. And the first time we drove it, our, eye, our mouths were just on the floor. Guys, imagine this with me. Pike's Peak in all of her glory and the tall trees folding over the road and, and the sun beaming just right. It was stunning and we were in awe. But then something happened. Because a couple weeks later, when I drove the pass, I wasn't thinking about the mountain or the trees or the sun. I was thinking about the joker driving 15 under in the left lane. I didn't even see the mountain. I didn't even see the trees. What happened to the glory? Here's what happened. Familiarity happened. Familiarity. We, we, we know this, don't we? Do you remember the first time you got your first phone? Was it a sidekick? Anyone? T-Mobile? Mine was a, a Razor. It was awesome. And I still remember the first time I got a text. I remember where I was sitting. T9 mode, Ben Byrne sent me a text. Ding. I was like, oh. I remember the first time that I played a game on my phone. Do you remember that? Do you remember the first time you went on the internet on your phone? It was exciting. It was exhilarating. It was amazing. And now when you get texts, what do you do? Stop texting me, right? Now when you're scrolling Facebook or Instagram, you're just bored. It's so boring. Familiarity makes glory boring. So the new clothes are fun for three or four wears, and they're boring. 
The new car is exciting for six months, and then it's boring. So here's my question to you this morning. Are you bored with Jesus Christ? Are you bored with Jesus? Maybe you wouldn't say it that bluntly, so let me ask the same question in a softer way. How have your prayer times been going? How's your time in the Word been going? In a room this size, the reality is most of us, at least many of us, are in a spiritually dry season. Translation, I'm bored with Jesus. Can I just confess something to you? You guys going into this sermon, I was so bored with Jesus. I went on a run and I said, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to preach and I'm dry and I'm dusty and I'm bored and safe place here. Raise your hand if you're in somewhat of a dry time with the Lord. There you go. Yeah, it's a lot of us. Okay. So our prayer this morning then is that Jesus would, would knock our socks off again. That he would, he would captivate us and, and blow us away with his glory in you guys God loves to answer that prayer. I don't know if there's a prayer that he likes to answer more than show me your glory. Isn't that the prayer that this church is built on? Show me your glory, God. And he loves to answer that. He can answer that because what sets Jesus apart from everything is that only his glory is infinite. So different from our phones or our cars or Pike's Peak, Jesus' glory is infinite. That means there will never be a day, not even in heaven, when you look at Jesus and say, I can see all of his glory. His glory is ever increasing, ever increasing. There's, There's always new facets and crevices and depths of him to be explored and enjoyed. We just need to keep looking. So if your walk with the Lord this morning is dry, if you're bored with Jesus, if you can be honest enough to say, I'm bored, man, I'm bored of my faith, then the remedy isn't look somewhere else, it's look again. You haven't seen them all. There's more glory in Christ to be seen. Let's look this morning. Open up your Bibles or your boring phones. Revelation chapter one, verse four. We're in the book of Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible. First chapter, verse four. As you're turning there, let me pray again. Lord, we don't want to be bored and yet our affections have grown dull. So right here in Revelation one, verse four, five, and six, take us to the mat. Grip us with glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse four, John, stop there by way of context. When Jesus was on earth, John was Jesus's best friend. So Rome tried killing John by throwing him into a vat of boiling oil over and over. Note, oil boils at about three times the heat of water and John wouldn't die. They could not 
kill John. It freaked out Rome so much that they exiled him to the island called Patmos. So here in verse four, John is an old man exiled on an island. His flesh is probably melted like candle wax down to the bone. And he's thinking about his best friend. He's missing his best friend. Verse four, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. (laughs) Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, here's our passage, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. If you and I want to be delivered from the dust bowl of dry Christianity with fresh eyes right now, let's look at Jesus again. In verse 5, John gives three titles of Jesus, three things Jesus is, and the first one is this, see it in the text, Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. If you're taking notes, write that down. Jesus Christ, hey, he's the faithful witness. Side note, I do want to say a pastor friend of mine, uh, Pastor Kempton Turner, gave me a few of these sermon points, and I think it's hugely important for a preacher to cite his sources. But I didn't need any help with this one. It's right here in the text. Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. What does that mean? Well, think of it in a legal sense. What does a faithful witness do in a courtroom? Here it is. A faithful witness accurately reveals the truth. When God says Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, he's saying Jesus is the only one who accurately reveals the truth. Finish the verse for me. Time to wake up. I am the way, the what? Truth and the life, Jesus says. In John 18, Jesus tells Pilate, the reason I was born and came to the world is to testify to the truth. You know, most of us this morning aren't asking, do I believe in Jesus? We're asking, do I believe Jesus, right? Is he trustworthy? Is he actually telling the truth? We live in an age of fake news, yeah? CNN, Fox News, I don't know if we've learned this yet, but ain't nobody telling us the truth, right? Everyone's got spin, everyone's biased, everyone's pivoting, no one is telling us the truth. So the papers don't tell the truth, politicians don't tell the truth, people don't tell the truth. The only one who tells the full truth is truth himself, the faithful witness. So you wanna know the real truth about people? Listen to truth say in John three nineteen: people love darkness rather than light because their works are evil. You want to know the truth about heaven and hell? Hear the truth in flesh say in Matthew 25, 46, the cursed ones will go away to eternal hell, but the righteous to eternal life. You want to know the truth about how to be saved? Then hear the faithful witness testify, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Life. You want to know the truth about how this is all going to end for you, Christian? Here's the end of the story. The truth teller tells us, John 14, 3, and if I go 
to prepare a place for you, I will come again, that where I am, there you may be with me also. Many of us love Jesus. We just struggle with what he says. But if he is who he says he is, and he claimed to be the faithful witness, then we must embrace every single word as truth because he is truth. And I think it's more than interesting that John, Jesus' best friend, at the end of his life, after seeing him die, after seeing him resurrect, after seeing him ascend, the first thing that comes to John's mind when thinking about Jesus is he was telling the truth. He's the faithful witness. Jesus is the faithful witness. That's amazing, guys. That ain't nothing. Let's look deeper, verse five. This gets so good. Verse five, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, here's the next thing. Read it back to me. What does it say? Point two, Jesus Christ is the firstborn of the dead. What does that mean? It kind of sounds like a zombie movie, doesn't it? Firstborn of the dead, part three, right? Like, what does firstborn of the dead mean? All right, Harvest Bible Chapel, Bible trivia right here. Was Jesus the first person to be raised from the dead? No. Who can shout out somebody uh, raised from the dead before Jesus? Lazarus. It's always Lazarus. Who can say, there we go, widow's son at Nain. Anyone else know one? Yes. Uh, Jairus' daughter. Guys, Jesus was not the first person to be raised from the dead. The word firstborn is prototokos. Proto meaning first, right? Prototype. And totokos, I love this. Rule, rank, or ownership. The phrase firstborn of the dead literally means Jesus Christ has first or supreme rule, rank, and ownership over death. Sometimes we get this idea that Jesus just loves his enemies and he speaks softly and he sits in green pastures and pets baby lammies and, okay, Jesus is a gentle savior. Praise God. But Jesus is the ruler of death. <laughs> he pulls rank over death. Jesus owns death. So for everyone else, it's the opposite, right? Death owns us. Doesn't matter how rich you are, how powerful you are, death owns you. Julius Caesar, dead. Alexander the Great, not that great, dead. Lincoln, dead. How about Rockefeller? Dead. Hitler? Dead. Einstein's dead. Kennedy's dead. And one day, LeBron has to die. <laughs> Kanye has to die. I know he doesn't think it. Bill Gates, he's going to die. And you and me, death owns us all. 
Can I just confess something to you right now? Is this a safe place? I can get something off my shoulders. So I played high school in football. Uh, I'm sorry, I played football in high school. <laughs> Confession, I was so bad. Like, I was 220 pounds, almost pure muscle, and do you know what position I played? Punter. You know, in football, you're supposed to be agile and mobile and hostile, and I was a little fragile. It took me a while to run a mile. I'm over it. So I was a, I was a below average football player, but I was a better than average trash talker. I could talk trash with the best of them. I loved when we were up by three touchdowns and just a few seconds left to the play, and what did he start saying? Hey, baby, game over, baby. Game over. Game over. Start the bus. And I'll run over to the fans just like this and go, hey, pull out your keys. Start the bus, right? You ever been part of that? Start the bus. Get off the field. We own you. Start the bus. I love that. <laughs> From the punter. <laughs> All right, listen to Revelation 117. It's just a few verses over. It's like the best verse in the Bible. Jesus says, fear not, Harvest Bible Chapel. I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. That's triumphant trash talk. Jesus is trash talking. He's saying, game over death, game over hell, game over sin. Get off my field, start the bus. I own you. Here's why I'm excited about that. Because when we are united to Jesus by grace through faith, hey, eyes up here. You now own death. We can join in with the trash talk of the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Oh, death, hey, where's your victory? Hey, oh death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. Catch this. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You guys, this is crazy talk. Christians don't die. Do you believe that? Christians don't die. So my mom passed away end of November. She's not dead. She owned death through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the firstborn of the dead, when death comes to us, and it will, all of us, it will, you can now say, get on your knees, slave. I own you. Bring me to the place my heart longs to be. Who is Jesus? He's the faithful witness. He's the firstborn of the dead. But it gets better. Better than never dying. Better than never dying. Check this out. Verse 5. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. What's the next point? Good. The ruler of kings on earth. Point three. He's the ruler of kings on earth. 
Jesus is the sovereign ruler over all governments, praise God, and God's powers and peoples, offices and officials. Here's a great place for an amen. King Jesus is the ruler of all kings at all times, in all places, at all forms, now and forever. Come on. Jesus Christ rules everyone all the time, now and forever. So, Revelation 17, 14, they will make war on the Lamb, that's Jesus, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. You know, sometimes this just gets so theoretical, so theological. Real talk here. Let's, let's just make it real. Who are the most feared and powerful world leaders right now? Aman al-Zabahari, Al-Qaeda leader who's killed thousands, <laughs> will bow in a second when he sees your Jesus. Abu Bakr Shakal, leader of Boko Haram, who's killed 500 civilians, kidnapped and raped and killed 223 Christian girls at a school, he's gonna fall in a flash when he sees the face of your Jesus. Do you believe that? Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, leader of ISIS, the most feared terrorist group in the world, he, he will fall like a dead man before the ruler of kings on earth. This is Philippians 2.9, you guys. This is our verse. We gotta know this verse. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him that is above every name, the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus. Hey, how many knees should bow? Every knee. And, and how many tongues should confess? Every knee, every tongue should confess Jesus Christ is Lord. So your boss will bow. Your neighbor will bow. Your family will bow. You will bow. I will bow. All will bow. Everyone will bow. You can bow willingly now and receive mercy, or you can bow forcefully later and receive wrath. But make no mistake, everyone will bow at Jesus Christ. So because I don't know you, let me ask, have you, have you bowed yet? Not, not lip service. I'm talking, have you bowed to Jesus Christ as Lord? And let me just invite you to do that today. He, he's not gonna turn his back on you and give you the cold shoulder. If you bow today, he's gonna run to you. And he's going to embrace you and say, my boy is home. My daughter, you're home. Let's throw a party. Let's celebrate. Would you let his kindness lead you to repentance? I'm pleading with you. Let his kindness lead you to repentance. You bow and before your knees hit the ground, grace upon grace upon grace forever. Who is Jesus? <laughs> He's the faithful witness. 
the one who reveals truth. He's the firstborn of the dead, the one who owns death. He's the ruler of kings on earth, the one who rules over everyone at all times, now and forever. So we could just let that be that and go home. Because who Jesus is alone is eternally enough to satisfy all of our souls. We're not going home yet. It gets so much better. That's why I love the Bible. If you just keep reading, it always gets better. Always, always. So let's keep reading. Verse five, end of verse five. Faithful witness, firstborn of the dead, ruler of kings on earth. Now let's see what Jesus has done. We've seen who he is. Let's see what he's done. See it right there. To him who loves us. I realize this seems like old news. This is kind of Sunday school. But guys, we, we, we can never get bored of the love of Jesus. Right now with fresh ears, just feel this. In fact, let me just pray once again. Lord, don't let us be bored by this. Grip us that you love us. Shake us up right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Not only was I not a great football player, growing up, I could barely read. I was hooked on phonics until I was like 10. So I didn't get grammar. I thought it was super boring until I started reading the Bible because grammar in the Bible changes your life. Let me show you how. To him who, see the word there, loves us. It doesn't say loved. Okay, it's not past tense. I mean, frankly, who cares if Jesus loved you? We've been real idiots since then. Does he love me today? The answer is a strong yes. As far as I know, this is the only place in the New Testament where the word for love, agape, is used in the present continuous tense. Present continuous means, not that Jesus loved us, it's past. Jesus is loving us right now with nonstop, continual, constant, ongoing, never-ending, always-enduring love in our mess. So, so Christian, when you look at porn, Jesus is loving you, present tense. When you don't feel like reading your Bible again, Jesus is loving you, present tense. When, when you do that thing you promised you'd never do again, Jesus is loving you in that moment with present tense love when you feel furthest from God, most dirty, most broken, most unlovable, Jesus is loving you present tense. Christ's love for his people will never run out. It'll never grow cold, not next week or next month or next year. 70 trillion years from now, Jesus will still be loving his people with the same ever-present, ever-continuing love that he's loving you with right here, right now.
oh my gosh. And we should say, like, how? How is that possible? Who are by nature children of wrath, Ephesians 2. How can he love us that who hate him and, and love darkness, John 3.20? How can he love us when there's literally nothing lovely about us in our sin? He doesn't leave us in the dark. See it in the verse, verse five. To him who loves us, here it is, and freed us from our sins by his blood. Second point, Jesus has freed us from our sins by his blood. We gotta know this. His love is present tense because his work is past tense. So Jesus loves us with with a radical, radiant, red-hot, present tense love because and only because he has freed us from our sins. So if you're like me, I'm going, what do you mean? I, I don't feel free for my sins. I sin every hour. I can't make it 10 minutes without sinning. How has, how has Jesus freed me from my sins? Let me give you three Ps for how Jesus has freed us from our sins. The first one is this, penalty. Penalty. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, <laughs> let me just, just receive this. You will never, ever, 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 ever be punished for any sin you have committed, listen, are committing, or will yet commit. Psalm 103, verse 10, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our sins from us. As a father shows compassion to his child, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Guys, he does not repay us according to our sins. How is that possible? He's a holy God. See it in the text. Those three amazing words, by his blood. It's because of the blood. On the cross, God treated Jesus like you so that today and forever God can treat you like Jesus and his blood was the key. His blood was the atonement. His blood is the transfer that puts all our sins on the shoulders of Christ and puts all of God's righteousness on the shoulders of repenting believers. By his blood, harvest, let us never move past the blood. Every week, we gotta preach blood. We gotta sing blood. It's about the blood. The blood of Christ. That's why there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's the blood. And if you believe your only hope of standing righteous before God is Jesus' blood, 
then the verdict has already been read over your life. Christian, you are free from sin. But not only are we free from the penalty of sin, here's another P, we're freed from the power of sin. Freed from the power of sin. He himself bore our sins in the body on the tree, this is 1 Peter 2.24, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. You see, the, the blood isn't only about going to heaven. The blood also takes the chains that keep us in bondage to sin and link by link breaks them breaks them. It's called sanctification and it means that you can look at the face of your favorite sin, and this is crazy, say no. No. Of course, sin will still call us, right? Every 10 minutes is going to be calling your number. This means that you can hit decline. I'm not going to pick you up. So I, I want us to think about this. What sins are going to be calling your number this week? Put your thumb on it so you know when it comes. What sin is going to be calling your number this week? If you're in Christ, you can tell porn. <laughs> no way. Jesus has destroyed your power over me at the cross. How about sexual desires? Your boyfriend, your girlfriend, Someone who's not your spouse? How about homosexual desires, same-sex desires? Is that calling your number? It's my story. If you're feeling sexual desires to anyone who is not your spouse, you look at those and say, no way! Jesus has defeated your power over me by the blood. Not a chance. How about anger? Is that gonna call your number this week? It is me again. Anxiety, worry, probably before I leave the church this morning, when it calls Christian, proclaim it. Christ has destroyed your power over me, sin. No more. Revelation 1.5 means all of us who are in Jesus are freed from the penalty of sin, praise God, saved from the power of sin, praise God, and soon and very soon will be freed from the third P, presence of sin. Presence of sin. Don't you just ache for that? Guys, we're one day closer. I don't know if you think about this. I was thinking about it as we're worshiping this morning. No church has ever been this close to the return of Jesus Christ when he will take us up and sin will be no more. You'll never have a sin again in the presence of the glorified Christ. And he will do that because he's freed us from our sins by his blood. Penalty, power, presence, I don't know how this is possible, <laughs> but it still gets better. Look at verse six. And, what a sweet word, and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. 
So not only does the faithful witness love us with always present, ever continuing love, not only has the owner of death freed us from the penalty of sin and the power of sin and soon the presence of sin, but verse six says the ruler of kings on earth has made us a kingdom, kingdom of what? See it right there, priests. <laughs> Point three, Jesus has made us a kingdom of priests. In the Old Testament, if you were a priest, it meant you got the highest relational privilege with God. The priests were in charge of worshiping God. That's kind of our topic this morning, worship. Well, the priests got to do that. They got to offer the sacrifices. They interceded for the people. But do you remember what the highest relational privilege was? The high priest got to go into the holy of holies, the personal presence of Yahweh God. One day a year, Yom Kippur, or as we say in Minnesota, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the high priest would literally enter into the literal presence of God himself. Some scholars believe they would actually tie a rope around the priest's ankle in case God struck him dead, they could recover his body. It was a terrifying thing to be in the presence of a holy God. I brought a, a picture this morning of, of President Kennedy um, clapping as his daughter Carolyn and, and John Jr. play around him. And you can see they're, they're in the Oval Office, arguably the most powerful place in the world. The Oval Office is where the most powerful person makes the most powerful decisions for the most powerful country in the world. The room behind me has secret service everywhere, uh, bulletproof windows and doors and walls. Not even the highest Washington officials are allowed even close to the Oval Office. If you and I ever got the privilege to go in, we'd be asked to uh, dress nice and stand up straight and get right to the point because the president is a very busy man. You can't dance in the Oval Office, right? You, you can't act like a child in the Oval Office unless you're his child. If you're, if you're his child, you can march in there whenever you want to and you can dance and you can laugh and you can be fully you because you're in the presence of dad. You guys, this is what being made a New Testament priest looks like. And look at President Kennedy. Clapping rejoicing, smiling. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. 
he will exalt over you with loud singing. Today we can enter the the very presence of the God of the universe because Jesus loves us. He's freed us from our sins by his blood and he's made us a priest to God himself. We can march in, you guys, right now and dance away. We can enjoy the presence of dad because Jesus is who he said he is and he's done what he said he's done. So do we have any application? John does, see it at the end of verse six. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. As John is writing these verses, he's, he's so overcome with joy and praise and worship that he can't help but write a little doxology, a little worship song. In other words, John stops writing, he's, he starts worshiping. And so that's what I want us to do right here this morning. Let me invite the band up. Harvest, I don't know what's, what's heavy on your heart this morning. I don't know, I don't have a clue what you're walking through. I'm guessing it's worse than I think. I'm guessing it's harder than I think. I don't know what you're working toward in your life. I don't know what kind of script you're trying to write over your life. God does. And God wants you, like John, to just stop writing for a minute and to set down the pen and to worship Jesus Christ. Would you hold up your Bible with me? Harvest Bible Chapel. Jesus is who this says he is the truth teller, the owner of death, the ruler of every king. And Jesus has done what he said he's done. He loves you. He has freed you from your sins, past, present, and future, by his blood. And he's made you a kingdom of priests who can march into the very presence of Almighty God and enjoy your dad. Let's put down our pen right now and let's worship Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you, but only because you love us. We pray with John, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.